Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Cassandra S. Hedelius studied political science and mathematics at the University of Oklahoma and law at the University of Colorado. She's a bureaucrat by day and by night a member of Fair Mormon, the board of editors at Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture, and blogger at Meridian Expand. She lives in Maryland with her husband and cats, which is, we're going to definitely have to get into talking about the cats here in a little bit, but she's here to talk (laughs) about her article in uh, Meridian Expand that's entitled The Parable of Chesterton's Fence and was released on January 21st, 2015. So, Welcome, Cassandra Hedelius. How are you? Thanks very much. I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm good, but I don't have probably as many cats as you do. So how, how many cats? Are you a cat lady where you've got like eight cats? Crazy cat lady. No, gosh, no. That would be way too many to take care of. I have two cats. One of them is on my lap right now. Are cats your kids? Are you one of those people? <laughs> well, let's just say I don't have kids yet, and so it's good that I have cats. Well, they're similar. They, they they make messes on everything, so you're getting good experience either way. Mm, cats have much fluffier tummies. <laughs> I'm of that. You say that, but you just have to feed them differently. <laughs> True. So you do all this stuff with Fair Mormon as the manager of the front page news review, and of course you and I have been doing uh, this new podcast on that uh, that service. So for those that don't know, what is the Fair Mormon front page news service? So... Every day, I or one of my helpers um, pulls up on the internet a search on all of the news articles that mention the church. Mormons, LDS, just the church. Uh, BYU, too. Sometimes I run that search as well if there's something in the news about it. And I compile it into a text document that I then send out to all of our subscribers. There are several thousand of them. And so if you sign up, you can get almost every day, not weekends, um, (laughs) a very useful and thorough summary of what the world is saying about Mormons. Excellent. And they're saying quite a bit some weeks and not so much other weeks. And Yeah, I'm really not nostalgic for the days, the heyday of the Romney campaign. There would be, uh, there, there were days at a time when there were 70 plus articles every day. That was quite a thing. Um, So some people have asked me, why do I include so many articles when a lot of them are reprints of each other? Um, And it's because we're not just trying to show what the world is saying, but how many of them are saying it and who of them are saying it. Just all of these major publications and then it's filtering down into all of these local publications. Um, So it really is a very interesting and I think a very useful view of how the media as a whole covers the church. Yeah. And you're also on the board of editors at at The Interpreter. How much time does that take up? I mean, I don't know where you're finding all this time. I don't either. (laughs) That that seems like it would be a kind of an intensive thing as well. Um, It can be. Uh, The workload can ebb and flow with projects as they come. Um, Right now... I guess my main things that I'm doing are I participate in video roundtable discussions, um, and we just take each of the 
gospel doctrine Sunday school lessons in turn and discuss them. Um, those are a lot of fun. I'm in groups with, you know, really fun, great scholars like John Gee and Dan Peterson and Craig Foster and just people who know an awful, awful lot. I don't know an awful, awful lot compared to them, but I love to learn and try to contribute. I do a lot of moderating. Um, and then the also thing with the other thing with Interpreter right now, um, I'm working on editing a book that will be forthcoming, hopefully not not too many more months, depending on how fast I can edit. So there are some really great and exciting publications that come out, and new articles are published every Friday, and Interpreter is just um, doing a lot to contribute to our understanding of ourselves and the rest of the world's understanding. Yeah, and as a just kind of a quick little plug, if you don't mind, but you brought up these interpreter roundtables. All of the interpreter roundtables have been included now with our Fair Mormon radio station that's oh, uh, streaming 24-7. So in the rotation of various shows and Fair Mormon content that we have there, we've added the entire catalog of interpreter roundtables. So anyway, just you're, you're out there. You're famous now. You're, you're out on the interweb. Oh, dear. No. <laughs> yes. No, I'm not famous, no. Well... Let's get to your article that's in Meridian Expand, which you contribute there f fairly regularly. But you had an article that interested me quite a bit and uh, did get some nice uh, coverage from people like Dan Peterson and others. And it's the parable of Chesterton's fence. So this, of course, is about G.K. Chesterton, uh, the, this English Catholic apologist and writer. But what exactly is this parable what, and this fence? What is that all about? So what Chesterton is trying to explain is basically conservatism as a philosophy. And I don't mean in political terms that we immediately think of. I mean um, conservatism that we respect the wisdom of the past. We um, don't rush into upsetting new policies without considering that there could be some unintended consequences. Um, you just need to be very deliberate and thoughtful when you are deciding how to how to handle things and how to run things. And so the fence is just the simplest analogy that he could come up with, that you imagine you're walking down the road and you come to a fence. And there are two ways to deal with the fence. You could say, what on earth is this fence doing here? I don't see the use of it. Let's clear it away. And... The second way, um, Chesterton has a more sober-minded person reply. The second way to deal with the problem of the fence is uh, to point out that it was built there by somebody, probably not by sleepwalkers. Um, somebody had a reason for building it, thought it was a good idea. And so it would be foolish to just take it down until you have understood who built it, what were their reasons? Are those reasons still valid? Are those purposes still served? Because if you can't answer those questions, then by taking down the gate, you might be doing more harm than good. So it's kind of meant for people to question or at least think through their motives in doing, acting, saying, just behaving a certain way towards certain policies, other people's life choices, that sort of thing? Well, sort of. Motives definitely come into it. Um, it is better to cultivate 
um, humility when we're talking about um, policies that can affect society as a whole and important institutions within society. Uh, but motives definitely aren't the end-all, be-all of this. I mean, what Chesterton is getting at is that when we pass laws and policies, these things matter. They, they affect people's lives. When we um, make changes to institutions that that societies and families and communities are built around, that has real effects on real people. And you need to make sure that you understand why things are the way you are, the way that they are, before you go around making big changes to it. Otherwise, you're going to hurt people. So no, it's not about you and your motives, but your motives are part of getting to the point where you can exercise this wisdom that he is advocating for. Okay. So at this point, this seems like a nice story, unless you have some reason for sharing it. So under what context or what application were you intending the reader to take with this? Is there something specific or are you just, this is just a good policy generally speaking? Well, in this post, I bring up some specifics as a way of illustration, but no, I didn't intend this to be a systematic argument for any particular policy. I just wanted to get the concept across. And then in future posts, I will definitely be bringing this up again. So what, what exactly were some of those examples? Um, I linked to an article that I just think it's pretty fun. You have this English Catholic apologist making this parable. And then this article that I linked to applies that parable to tax policy. So, right. uh, that's one and just you know should we get rid of this carried interest rule which i won't explain here but the writer of that article was just saying people it's now fashionable to rail against this rule that it only protects the rich and it's a immoral part of our tax policy and she's saying well wait slow down what purpose was it meant to serve and then you can see that well it's actually more complex than that and if you get rid of the rule you're going to have some consequences that you might not want. Um, and so then I talk about how you can apply it to issues in the church. And the one that I picked is one that um, is kind of simmering below the surface um, of a lot of discussions, at least online. Um, I think a lot of Mormons today have the good sense not to sit around debating the church on the internet all day, and kudos to them. But for those who do, this is something that comes up a lot. Um, the issue of some people are advocating that the church should change the rule. Um, if you didn't have to wait, then couples could both have a civil ceremony, which would include all of their family and friends, even those who do not presently qualify to attend a temple ceiling. And then you could also have your temple ceiling because that's important to you too. And you wouldn't have to have a big gap in between them and you could just fulfill all of those things that are important. Um, and I get that. I have had several siblings who have faced that issue um, where they married very wonderful people who had very wonderful parents who either were not LDS or were not able at that time to attend the temple ceiling. Um, I, I have seen that. I understand that it can be a very painful thing for people. However, when people say, we need to change it, it's not serving any purposes, it's not doing any good, all it's doing is harming families, we need to change it, 
that when I first started to hear this argument, immediately I thought, ah, Chesterton's fence. Wait. Because we have to stop and think, why was that policy put in place? What purposes did it serve and does it still serve those purposes? And as a matter of straight up history, I don't know why that policy was put in place. I haven't seen any um, documentation that talks about it, but I can still use my imagination. And my guess is that one purpose, at least, that it was meant to serve is that if someone can have a civil wedding ceremony and have the temple ceremony, that especially in this, this might be more true now than it was whenever the policy was started, but especially in today's wedding culture, which is, which can be pretty, pretty darn lavish. Top, yeah, yeah. That all of your thoughts and your hopes and your preparations and your dreams go into making the civil ceremony so wonderful that the temple ceremony, which you, I mean, you don't, buy flowers for, you don't have a photographer for, you don't have all of the trappings and excitement of wedding planning for, that the temple ceremony would then become an afterthought and lose some of its sacredness in meaning to you. Now, is that going to happen for everybody? No, absolutely not. And, and so people will point out, people who are in, in favor of a policy change will point out that, well, in Europe, in a lot of countries, this policy isn't in place. People can have the civil wedding and the ceiling right next to each other, and they do fine. And I don't doubt that. I, I am sure that um, all of our, our brothers and sisters in other countries in the world, I am not at all accusing them of taking the temple lightly because they are able to do this without the year waiting period. I'm sure that they do it just fine. However... And another concept that I bring up quickly in a footnote is path dependence. Basically that to start from the get-go saying that X is the correct policy as we were able to do in, or as we had no choice but to do in some countries for legal reasons, you, um, you just have to have the civil ceremony and then the temp before um, and close to the temple ceremony. So to start from the get-go and say that X is the correct policy is not the same thing and does not have the same effects as starting with Z policy and then later on changing over to X because the fact of the change, that can have a signaling effect that maybe you didn't intend, but it could be they're all the same. And so, again, this is all rampant speculation, but... With the policy that we have right now that you have to wait a year, if we took that away, would that signal that, okay, you're, you're free to go nuts on your civil ceremony and the temple ceremony can be an afterthought? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but the whole point of Chesterton's fence is that these things are worth discussing. They're worth talking about. In fact, you have to talk through them. You can't just rush them aside as, there's no point. There's no purpose. Well, if, I mean, if that's the... If that's the way that you discuss possible policy changes, I, I don't think you're doing it very responsibly. Fair enough. Well, and one of the things that I looked at with this parable is it's, it's kind of a very, uh, let's just call it prudent way to approach anything that we kind of approach in, in 
different questions that we might have that are difficult with the church. Sometimes the first response we come to isn't necessarily the most complete response. Um, you know, we may come across a challenge or something like that, and we may think that the, our first gut response is the is the inspired response, when in fact there might be other things to it, which is part of what this parable talks about. And I actually had a, a manager at an old store. This was a retail store that kind of used his own version of this parable where he said, if you have a customer that comes in that's angry about this, that, or the other thing, and I, I want my money back or whatever it is, there's a lot of different ways you can approach this issue. You can fight with them. You can get them angry. They're still probably going to get their money back, and they're never going to come back in. You're never going to have a customer again. Or you can fast forward to the end of the movie and find out what the best resolution would have been, and that therefore it kind of exposes choice that you should have made at the beginning. So I kind of, when I read this parable, I thought of, this is kind of like fast forwarding through the end of the movie. It's it's taking a minute to see where your steps lead you next. If you make a certain choice, where will that take you? Are, are you looking at it the same way? Is there kind of a different interpretation when you take it in context of apologetics or people that come across difficult questions? Well, under that metaphor, you're going to both rewind and fast forward. Um, you need to rewind because things that happened in the past are important. They matter. They certainly inform your decision. Yes. Things, institutions, policies, things that are put in place that, I mean, just because we don't understand them right now fully doesn't mean that they don't have good justifications. And it doesn't mean that if they change them, it's not going to have any unforeseen consequences. And so the only way to really get, have a good chance of understanding what's in the future is to make sure that we fully understand the past. That's, that's what Chesterton is getting at. Um, and so in the context of apologetics, um, I don't know that this is necessarily an apologetic issue. And um, I absolutely defend the church's right to keep this policy if it wishes to. Um, it's well above my pay grade to uh, opine which would be better to change or to not change. But since the church hasn't changed it yet, all right, I'm, I'm with the policy. But in terms of apologetics, I'd, I mean, I would never want to shut someone down or say, you know, you can't ask questions about this. You can't try and think about a different and a better way. I mean, absolutely not. We we change and we adapt as our ourselves and our culture changes. Sometimes it's best to adapt. And we don't want to use Chesterton's fence as an excuse for staying stuck in the mud and never, ever removing any fence. That's, that's not what he is saying. That's not what I would say. Um, it's fine to ask questions, but when we get emotional about it, when we get into an advocacy mode and say, you know, there's no point, this is wrong, this is bad and yet haven't done the homework to understand what the purposes were, that is a problem. Yeah. Well, excellent. I would encourage people to, uh, well, certainly point people with a link to the article, the original article, and get even Chesterton's uh, wording, I believe, of the parable. I guess it appeared first in 1929, right? That's how long ago this parable kind of came into play, right? I believe so. Awesome. 
And you have other articles uh, that that you have released on uh, on the Meridian Expand blog. Uh, is this something that you're going to be doing biweekly, monthly? How often can people expect <laughs> to uh, get something from Cassandra Hedelius? Well, between the first and the second post, there was an uncomfortably long gap, and I plead Christmas in mitigation of that. <laughs> of my lack of diligence there um, but there will be another post going up very soon and I intend to post at least once a week from now on that's my hope there it is hopefully more there it is well thank you again for coming on and talking with us about your article you are welcome thank you thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host Nick Galetti this has been a production of Fair Mormon this and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.